Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 28, and I'm going to read all the way to 34. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all. And Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than the all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. What I'd like to do is, and we've talked about this a little bit before, I would like to look at the Ten Commandments and actually go, them, go over them slowly in the next couple of weeks. But I want to go through those Ten Commandments just a little bit different. Instead of looking at them from the standpoint of Ecclesiastes 12:13, where the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments, I would like to look at it from the perspective of 1 John 5, 2 and 3, where it's to love God and obey his commandments. Now, I know the definition of fear could be reverential, but in this particular case, I want to look at those Ten Commandments, the thou shall nots, not motivated by fear, or reward, but motivated by love. There's a difference there. I shared with uh, Brother Richard before class. Uh, this is a brand new semester and I teach two classes in the morning. And one of the classes I teach this week has been an outstanding class. It's a very special class. I haven't had a class like this since Emory's group came through five or six years ago. See. In the past, classes will come through, and sometimes I have to fear them into obedience. And there's some classes where I have to reward them into obedience. But every once in a while, there's this jewel that comes through, and I get to love them into obedience. Think about a biological child. Think about a child, and you can muscle a child you can fear them into obedience. Let's suppose they steal from you or lie to you. And if they do that, you can threaten them with lost privileges or you can bribe them into obedience or reward them into obedience with certain things that they want to do or things they want to have. But every once in a while, a child comes along that obeys just out of love. And you see, I think we as church people, sometimes we get confused. I think we can muscle a non-elect person into obedience through fear. And I think we can muscle a non-elect person by reward, but I don't think we can ever motivate 
a non-elect person to obey out of love. That's a whole different animal. So what I would like to do is I want to look at these Ten Commandments not from the Old Testament perspective of thou shalt not, but I want to do it from the New Testament, thou shalt, because of love. Okay, so when we look at the, the Ten Commandments, the, the law that was given by Moses under the stone, you know, normally I'm an even guy, I like to go five and five, but that's not the way they broke up. They broke up four and six. The first four were talking about loving God. So when he says the first commandment, those would be one through four. And real briefly, we'll, as we go over the weeks, we'll read scripture. Some of these are much longer than what I have written down. But the first one basically is, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. The second is, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. The third, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And the four is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Basically, those are God-oriented commandments. So when Jesus says, love the Lord thy God with all your mind and your heart and your strength and your soul, basically he was saying, keep verse four. But then he said, the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor. And the next six are basically how we love our neighbor. You don't, you honor your parents, you don't kill them, you don't murder them, you don't steal from them, you don't lie to them and you don't covet their things. That's the way we love our neighbor. So when he said, the second is like unto it, but you know what, it's a bowl of spaghetti because these Ten Commandments are all intertwined. Can I steal without having coveted first? Can I commit adultery without having coveted first? No? Well, when I covet, aren't I really committing adultery? And how can someone commit adultery and not lie once or twice? So they're all tangled up, and it's really hard just to commit one sin. But we're gonna try to go through these and, and make some sense. And we're try, gonna, I'm going to try my best to use scripture to show you how the motivation for obeying these is love. And when you do that, you're on a whole different plateau than what was going on in the Old Testament. And I got news for you, you're on a whole different plateau than what goes on in most of what's called Christianity today. There's a lot of fearing people into accepting the Lord. There's a lot of rewarding people into accepting the Lord. But how many commit themselves to the Lord just to say thank you for what he did for us? That's a whole different level. So let's go forward and let's look at this first four one more time from a big picture perspective. We're taking a big, we, we were, the first time we looked at it, we looked at it from 5,000 feet. Now we're going to look at it from about 500 feet. Okay, let's look at the first four and make a generalization about the first four. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, this is basically what Jesus was quoting. So I think it's important. Jesus is just not flying off the cuff and giving something new. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, 1 John 5, 2, and 3 is what I quoted a little bit earlier. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Notice it says for the love of God. If you have a child that's stealing from you and lying to you and he says, you know, I love you, dad. But they're stealing and lying. Is that really love? What kind of love is that? It's really not. And then we go to the next set of commandments. Here's the... 500 view from the next six. Notice what Romans 13, 8, 9 says. Owe no man anything 
but to love one another. Well, how do I love one another? Well, thank you, Paul. You're going to tell me. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Hey, does those sound familiar? It's the last half of the Ten Commandments, right? The only one left out of here is honoring mother and father. Thou shalt not. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie to him. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. When you love your neighbor, you're not going to injure them. Okay, let's go to a second witness. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. How do we show love towards God? Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So that is the big picture. So my goal is over the next couple uh, uh, Sundays is to go through these Ten Commandments, probably cover them two at a time. So the first two I'd like to look at today is idols and images. Idols and images. But I don't want to look at it. There's a golden calf and everybody was struck down. I want to look at it from another standpoint. God, first of all, the first commandment is, thou shall have no other gods before me. And I would encourage you to read that. You go to Exodus chapter 20, and you can find all 10 of the commandments. That one there has got about a three-verse description. But to save time, I'm just going to show you that, that one right there. And here's three verses, <clears throat> and I want to show you something. God parallels idolatry with infidelity. As we look at this in our relationship to God, just for a second, pretend it's a husband and a wife. Well, it's not too far of a stretch. We're the bride, the church, we're married to our husband, Jesus Christ. Kind of think about that relationship and notice what he says when Israel goes and worships another God. He likens it to infidelity. Notice what he calls it in Exodus 34, 15. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods. Wow, that's pretty strong language, God. When Israel went and started worshiping other gods, he says, you're going a-whoring. That's Bible language. Look what it says in Jeremiah 3.8. When backsliding Israel committed adultery... They didn't commit adultery. What they did is they committed idolatry. But he's liking it so you get the picture of the relationship. I put her away and gave her a bill of divorcement. See that language between God and his people? Her treacherous sister Judah feared not and she went and played the harlot. Look at that language. So he's paralleling idolatry with infidelity. And then the last one is in Revelation 17 2, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Now, they really didn't commit fornication. This is the context here is talking about worshiping other gods. Thou shall have no other gods before me. If you love God, I kind of get the feeling there wouldn't be room for another woman. If you truly love your spouse, there's not room for another woman. And that's what God's saying. If you truly love me with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your might, there's not room for another woman. There's not room for another God. Oh, okay. So we're not trying to threaten you with a fire and brimstone. We're trying to show you about a relationship that's so pure and so generated by love, there's not room for anybody else. Isn't that a whole different motive? Like a husband, God requires loyalty 
and can be jealous. Now, I thought jealous was only things you saw on the television shows. No, God says he's a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, worship no other God. The Lord God, whose name is Jealous, with a capital J, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 32, 16, they provoked him to jealousy and with strange gods. And then Jeremiah 25, 6, go after no other gods to serve or worship them. Provoke me not. When you worship other gods, that provokes the Lord. Think of a husband and wife. Let's go to earthly terms to try to understand the spiritual. If there's something I do that provokes my wife, uh, unless it's something scriptural, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I want her to cook me good meals? No, that's the reward thing going on. I'm not going to do it because I love her and I don't want to irritate her or offend her. Amen? But the thing is, is the love motivation is a whole different motivation than the fear or the reward motivation. And it's really hard to teach that to a middle school or a high school class. They just don't, what can I get out of this teacher? Well, I gotta study, because if I don't, I'm getting kicked off the basketball team. Well, that's a motivation, and that child will conform. But that's not very long-lasting, because sooner or later, the basketball season's over, and I've lost my leverage. Well, it's the same thing with God. It's like a marriage. And when God said he put Adam and Eve together, it said two became one. He never said three become one. And that's our relationship with God. It's never three become one. And when you're committing idolatry, three are becoming one. And that's not the way marriage works. Joshua 24, 15. I love this. This is the one everybody has needlework on and the postcards and, 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 and the t-shirts and, and the little needlework sayings on the wall. Choose you this day whom you will serve. In other words, you know what God's saying? There can't be three in this twosome. He says, pick one or the other, but there's not going to be a threesome. That's what he says. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, but me and my house will serve the Lord. But he's saying, choose. None of this threesome. That's a twosome. Pick me. And if you don't want to pick me, go with the other God. But, but don't go between the two. 1 Samuel 7, 3. Return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Put away the strange gods. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. God, it sounds like you're pretty jealous. All I can say to that is, yeah, boy. No other gods. And then Matthew 4.10, notice what he tells Satan. Satan's trying to entice him. He says, you worship me. And he says, uh-uh. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. I will not worship you, Satan. There's only room for a twosome, and that's myself and the Lord. You are not going to squeeze in here and get any of my devotion. What do you think? I don't worship a golden calf, and I don't worship the devil. Idolatry comes in many forms. 1 John 5.21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Well, as far as I know, I don't have any paintings that I bow down to. I don't have any statues in my house. I think I'm cool. Ever watch an NFL triple header? People can be your idol. And I don't care if it's a celebrity or an athlete or an actor or a politician or a singer or an intellect. It doesn't matter. We can put them, and all of a sudden that person becomes the third person in the duet. 
It could be asset. Houses and lands and bank accounts and salaries or guns or clothes or pensions or whatever it is. That can be the third person. You got God, you got work, and you got yourself. That can be an idol. Accomplishments, degrees and promotions and championships and power. That can be an idol. And then finally, artifact. And this is the Old Testament stuff. The ark was an artifact. They got to start worshiping. They went into battle with the ark and not God. A brass serpent, a temple, a legacy, a pedigree, a nationality. There's all kinds of things that can become idols. So we've got to watch. And you know what? God wants none of it. He says, it's you and me and that's it. All that other stuff is a third thing. And then finally, I'm going to challenge you. This is where the rubber hits the road. What if we worship God, not because we're afraid of him, but because of love of him? Think about this. What if we worship God because there's not room for anything else in our life? Y'all think about that for a second. I don't have room for anything else other than God. Worshiping God because you love him. What if we worship one God because doing so is offensive to him? So anything I stick else in there, anytime I add a third idol in there, you know what, God's offended at that, and I don't want to offend God. I love him too much to offend him. It's kind of like doing that for my wife. I don't want to do that. I don't want to bring anything in there that'll get between her and I. I love her too much to have something get between her and I. And then finally, to love only God is to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our might. What did God tell that scribe, that lawyer? He said, the first commandment is to love thy Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and might. And the way you, first step you do that is you love only God and there's no other idols. So that's how it fits into the first commandment. Second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven, in earth or water, and thou shalt not bow down to serve them. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't care if it's a golden calf or it's a golden replica of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's still a graven image made by hands. It doesn't matter what the object is. If you're bowing down to that image, it is a graven image, no matter what the subject matter is. Let's go through, let's see what scripture says about this. In Leviticus 26, 1, it says, Make no idols, nor graven images, neither rear up a standing image, nor set up any image of stone to bow down unto. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord God. My glory will I not give another, nor praise to a graven image. Worship me. Don't worship a statue of me. Acts 19.26, Paul persuaded much people saying there are no gods made with hands. Well, I know a statue is not really God. It's a representation that helps me remind me of God. Let's pretend I had a picture of myself when I was in my prime, let's say late 20s. And and in terms of my heart was all dark and my, my weight was just right. And I was a little bit on the buffer side than I am right now. And I came home. And she had a picture of me at 26, and she was kept on looking at that and worshiping that picture. And then I come walking in. But I'm worshiping you. No, you're not. You're worshiping that thing, and that's a terrible image of who I am now. Well, I guarantee anything you come up with the Lord is a terrible image of who he is now. 
He's like that. He doesn't want an artifact you bow down to. Bow down to him in the quiet of your closet. Let's go. Adoration of things made with hands. He doesn't like that. In John 4, 24, this is, this is the end all. God is a spirit and they that worship him must, not, not highly suggested, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And when you got those artifacts to bow down to, you're not worshiping him in spirit. You're worshiping him with something physical and you're not doing it in truth because he says, don't do it. And any justification you come through to rationalize that behavior is not truth, it's your manipulation of the truth. That should end all things right there. But you know me, I usually set things in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Acts 17, 29, for as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God his is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art or man's device. Don't make any statues of Jesus Christ. I think I shared this once with you. This was years ago when I was in the bank. And I happened to be working there, and there was a conversation. In, you know, and back when I worked on the bank, it was a trading desk, so we didn't actually have cup, cubicles. We, it was just a great big trading desk where we sat there with screens and monitors and we watched the markets, and there was a bank of phones, and the person sat next to me, and the person sat on the other side of the bank. So there were no walls. You could hear everything. And the person on the other side of the monitors I was looking at was uh, uh, a black person, and they were having a discussion with another person. And I'm sitting there trying to work, and they're arguing about whether Jesus was white or black. You're giggling. It was the foolish, most foolish conversation I ever heard. And then finally I said, well, Dolph, you go to church. What do you think? And I says, you know what? I think his skin was lighter than yours, but darker than yours. And I says, I think his hair was probably straighter than yours, but curlier than yours. His nose was probably bigger than yours, but smaller than yours. They got mad at me. But, but, but we get these crazy images of what Jesus looks like. Go back to the people at that time, and every art image I ever saw is off base. I see some of you nodding. Isn't that silly? He says, I don't want that. Get down on your knees and worship me. I got plenty of pictures in this book here called the Bible. That should be good enough. You don't need to invent anything. And then uh, Romans 1.23, who changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. God is totally against images that are being worshipped to. And I tell you what, if you're bowing down to it, you're worshipping it. Thou shalt not make any unto thee any graven images. Isaiah 4.18, to whom then shall you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Anything you imagine is going to come well short. Genesis 1.26. See, God gave us some images, but they weren't graven images. You know what he gave us? First one, Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You got a little picture, you want a little bitty picture of God? Look at mankind. That replicates him. And when you're acting righteous, that replicates him a little bit more. That's the images he wants us walking around and looking at or preparing for the world. Our walks. 
Colossians 11:17. Man ought not to cover his head. He is the image of the glory of God. This is talking about husbands and wives. You want an image of God? Look at a good marriage and seeing that a good husband. You want a good picture of God? Look at a good family and see a godly father. That's the image. You don't need a statue. Walk around being a good father. That is the image that you're going to spread the worldwide. It's easier to go to Walmart and buy a statue, isn't it? But God doesn't want easy. He wants the images he set up. Colossians 1.15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? What image was that? That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ incarnate. Now, you're saying, Brother David just said, you just told us don't worship people. No, I'm not worshiping a father. I'm worshiping godly fatherhood. I'm worshiping godly husbands. I'm worshiping the behavior. Gone from the Old Testament are the monuments and the temples and the arks and the altars and all its artifacts. You remember, um, it was a while ago, we went through the book of uh, Joshua. And you remember when Joshua went over to claim the promised land? It seems like there was a pile of rocks everywhere. They went through the Jordan, there was a pile of rocks. They got to Gilgal, there was a pile of rocks. There was a judgment over Achan and his family, there was a pile of rocks. They conquered um, Jericho, there was a pile of rocks. They conquered a, 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 a fivesome of kings, a collaboration of kings that were trying to go into Israel, and they conquered them, they buried those five, there was a pile of rocks. And every one of them says that pile of rocks is with us to this day. You know what? Those are all gone. He says, I don't want that in the New Testament. I don't want any more pile of rocks. I don't want any more monuments. You know what? I don't even want a temple. Really? Nope. I want a New Testament church. I don't want a temple. Gone are the feasts and the ordinance and the priesthood and the sacrifices. Gone is the nation Israel, its ruler, its king, its army, its economy, and its judicial system. Those are all gone. Well, Lord, what did you give us? You know what you replaced us with? Baptism, communion, the local church, fathers, husbands, and your godly walks. Is that all? Oh, that's plenty. Those are our images. Those are our and I'll call them graven images if we start to worshiping those more than the person that gave us the power to do those things. You got to remember the source. But those are our reminders. We don't need pictures and statues. We've got walks and those few simple little ordinances. I thought, you probably throw foot washing in there too. Okay, let me ask you this question. What if we worship God in spirit, not motivated by fear, but love for him? That's the same question I asked after the first commandment. Okay, I know when, when, he made that, those, when Israel made that golden calf, boy, was God upset. Okay, I'm going to go to the natural world. Would we display a painting or a statue of our spouse, which our spouse found offensive? I don't know. I've already used the example of taking a picture of me in my prime and, and having that picture on the wall and, and Deborah fawning over that and I come walking in. Yeah. That would be upsetting, wouldn't it? Or if I did the same thing to her. I'm going to embarrass her anyway. So go, you got to go take care of a grandbaby or something. When I was introduced to Deborah, I, I, I told you, I was, I was a widower. I had three small boys. 
and I was praying all those things. But God gave me, even he gave me a mother, he gave me a pastor's wife, he gave me someone flexible for a 40-year-old widower. I mean, he just, just gave me everything, but he threw a knockdown, drag out pretty. And when I met her sister for the very first time and we were there, she took out some pictures of when Deborah used to model in her early 20s. In that state, I fell in love with her. But the one I have in her 50s, you can't compare the love in the 20s and the 30s to the love I have in the 50s. There's no comparison. If you're looking at the cosmetic, the physical beauty, it's shallow. And I would say I was better looking when I was in my 20s than I am now. And, and she was better looking in her 20s than she is now. But I love her more now than I do what I loved back then. And to have that picture and constantly put that picture in front of her would be just wrong. But we do the same thing to God, don't we? And he doesn't want that. That's just wrong. It's just wrong. So I wouldn't do that to my wife. But I'll do it to my God? No, I won't do it to my God. Am I in trouble, sugar? No, okay. All right. What if instead of bowing to our spouse, we bowed to an inaccurate image of our spouse? And the answer is, no, no, we wouldn't do that. And then finally, to love only God is to honor him and his will. And you know what his will is? No graven images. Worship me in spirit and truth. And if I love God, that's the way I'm going to worship him. We are going to go through these Ten Commandments, and I pray that I can hold them up to you in a way that you've never really considered them before. We, we, we look at those, we, we see all those thou shall nots, eight out of the ten start off with thou shall not. Two of them don't, remember the Sabbath, honor thy father. But we always think about if I don't, you know, even when I look at the one honor thy father and mother, there's two promises that come with that, quality and quantity of life. Oh, I'm going to honor my parents because I want to live long and have a quality life. That's motivated by the reward. I want to do it out of love. And sometimes I'm shallow and obey out of reward. And sometimes I obey out of fear. But what happens when I hit that sweet spot and I obey out of love? You know what? Then, as that scribe or that lawyer I have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. You don't enter into the kingdom of God, that personal relationship with the Lord, when you're fear motivated or you're reward motivated. That sweet spot happens when you're love motivated. I hope I didn't burst anybody's religion bubbles. I hope I did bust some religion bubbles today because that's where we need to be. I would love for every one of you to experience the kingdom of heaven, and that's the motivation that's going to help you get there. The other two won't do it. It'll be far short. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.